is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Hello and welcome to FUVFC, WFUV Sports Best If Only Soccer Podcast here on 90.7 FM. I'm James Burley, joined by once again Andy and Nick, but we're going to change things up a little bit. It's Andy Rodriguez and Nick Palmer, my foe from... I want to say from across the river, but from across the country who supports the team that lives across the river. And for that, I'm very excited to have him on board. It's going to be another great episode. Women's World Cup, maybe some Leagues Cup discussion if we have some time. Andy, I'll go over to you first. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I am actually really excited for this one. Well, first off, excited to be back. It feels like I'm going to cover the whole World Cup at this point. But uh, yeah, I feel like we have a lot to talk about with the U.S. being like really disappointing. My expectations were low coming into the tournament anyways. And the fact that I'm still disappointed, like even with low expectations, they didn't even meet those. That's how bad it is. And there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about. So I'm excited to see what you guys think, especially Nick. This is the first time with you. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joining you today, Andy. Um, more thrilled about, uh, we got another Hudson river derby coming up. That's always fun. Um, James and I like to banter a bit about that. Uh, city's going to win. That's sort of all I've got. Um, James, how are you doing? My friend, I'm doing great. Uh, and that me being great is headlined by tomorrow's New York Derby. That's coming to Red Bull arena. That is uh, Thursday night, August 3rd at 8 PM Red Bull arena. Get your tickets. If you haven't already. Uh, because I want to see a good spectacle. It's going to be midweek, short notice, Leagues Cup. Not expecting it to move the needle greatly, but it's still one of the best things soccer has to offer in this little corner of the world, the New York Derby. So that'll be a lot of fun. I plan on being there tomorrow night uh, for WFUV Sports. And I hope you're wrong, Nick. I hope we get a win for the win for the red side of New York. And we'll see how that, that goes in this strange Leagues Cup competition. But we got to can't bury the lead here, guys. We got to start with the U.S. women's national team. And boy, oh boy, where do we begin? Because, yes, we all had a bit, maybe perhaps slightly lower expectations for this side coming into the 2023 World Cup, having, of course, won the previous two. And they have sunken below perhaps those expectations. Five points out of the group stage. They limp their way into the knockout round after a nil-nil draw against Portugal. In the 94th minute, Portugal rung one off the post that would have sent the United States packing, a scenario we certainly didn't think we were going to be in with 270 minutes on our backs in the group stage. But now we go into the knockout round where we face, as the second finisher in the group, Sweden in the round of 16. 
it doesn't really get much bigger than that in terms of opponents and in terms of occasion. And the U.S. have played themselves into this scenario. So we're going to talk about it as a whole. We're going to focus in on that Portugal game, how we got here. And for me, a lot of this, if I'm circling what is the big problem, a lot of it goes back to the name Vlatko Andonovsky. And while I do think that maybe this group lacks a bit of character and lacks a bit of drive and maybe is a one rung below teams before it in terms of talent, it should, should still be good enough to be winning its group, to be getting three wins out of three. And I said, even though they were coming in with lower expectations, because it's the U.S., because they love playing with a target on their backs, they're going to rise to the occasion, step up, score goals, and look good doing it. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. And I realize now that maybe my expectations should have stayed a little bit more grounded. And I had this feeling maybe deep down, knowing that this isn't the same U.S. team. And maybe we shouldn't expect the same results. But I wanted that to be wrong so 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 much and now i'm the one with egg on my face but it's not over yet it's not over yet the u.s are still in the competition and they're facing sweden a team they've played at each of the last four world cups now on sunday august 6th at five in the morning i don't know about you guys i did not wake up for the portugal game i dvr'd it and watched it first thing in the morning but how did we get here is the question on my mind. I still think Vladko Andonovsky has a lot of questions he hasn't really answered. I think the group is underperforming to the standards they should be at. Uh, even with some of the decisions that they're making, maybe the pressure has mounted too much. Maybe the, the, the discourse of other teams catching up to the U.S. in the women's game has finally come to fruition. There's so many different things he could be. But for me, the number one uh, reason on my list is still the man in charge, Vladko Andonovsky, getting a lot of things wrong and not getting the best out of his players. Um, Andy, I'm curious if you maybe feel the same way. Um, let's see. As I've not made a secret at any point, I had very low expectations. My prediction before the tournament started was this USA team is not going to three-peat and is not even going to make it to the final. And it seems like they're on the road for that. I thought they were going to lose semifinal or quarterfinal. Now I have my doubts that they'll even make it to that because facing Sweden is going to be really tough. And yeah, it's just been a lot of what we've talking about, like not being clinical. This game against Portugal, though, wasn't even that. It just got worse because they didn't even create as many chances as we're used to. So yeah, before our critiques in the first two games was a lot about oh, the chances are there. It's an easy fix. You just got to like make the most out of them. Now they have a long, long way back to be at the top because if you're not even creating chances, if you have like 40% possession against Portugal, Portugal in their first World Cup, and then you said they crawled their way past the group stage. I mean, they limped. I think they crawled. That's what I was trying to say because it was so bad. And it's not even the fact that like the post was so close. Two minutes after that, like they had a cross from a free kick. Alyssa Nair comes out and just didn't hit the ball. If someone is behind that, you're done again. So it's it's really tough. It could be a mix of things, as James, you were saying, like what's going wrong. I think it's a mix of a lot of things. You thought that with the target on their backs, they're going to rise to the occasion. Uh, I thought, like, you never know. They haven't been in that position where they're not performing to their standards. And so you see two results usually from that. Either A, they step up their game, go to another level we've never seen, 
or the other possibility is they crumble under pressure. And I think that's what's happening right now. They're just crumbling. They can't withstand it. And I'm very intrigued to see if they'll even make it past Sweden. I don't think so, but we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, I th I think you have a great point there, Andy. I mean, obviously, you know, that game against Vietnam should have been an absolute disaster for Vietnam. They only put up three goals on what their rank, Vietnam's ranked like 32nd in the world. It was absolutely, you know, I mean, they won. And then they barely eked out that draw against the Netherlands. And then you're right, that game against Portugal was not fun to watch. I mean, you said they didn't generate a lot of chances when they did. I mean, you know, I'm one of the biggest Alex Morgan fans out there. She missed some big chances. I mean, that one in the 53rd minute with Lindsay Horan, uh, founder, like right in front, and she couldn't finish. Also, that one in like the, it was around like the 85th minute. Uh, where she looked across it but got blocked. I mean, it's really just a lack of ability to get the ball in the box, as you mentioned. Um, and against Sweden, I mean, Sweden is a physical team. They're a big and physical team. So they play super heavy on the right side. Uh, they try to create overloads. And do I know if the USA can defend against that? I don't know, because Crystal Dunn is supposed to be, you know, the girl who can deal with that. Do you still roll her out in this game? She hasn't played at the Crystal Dunn levels that we've come to expect. Um, so you're right, James. Is it at the top? If the problem's at the top, maybe switch up the formation. I mean, maybe to like a 3-5-2 or something like that, because it it doesn't look inspired right now. They're not finding the chances. So, you know, maybe you throw in like Alana Cook in there to maybe change it up. Um, because what it, what they're doing right now does not look good. The attitude doesn't look good. I'm in complete agreement with Carly Lloyd um, and her remarks on it. Um, celebrating after that abysmal 0-0 draw. Um, it, 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 didn't, it wasn't a good look. So I, I think a change of scenery is absolutely needed. I, I think you're both correct. Just maybe a combination of both. I, I'm with you there. And I think that the, the, the problems at this World Cup certainly go deeper than just the decisions made by the manager, not just the fact that it's the certain players that are out there and where they're playing on the field, which I certainly have gripes about Alana Cook being a player left out. So Julie Ertz, a midfielder, can play center back, has been on my list of grievances with decisions in players. But I think the players are good enough. The 11 players that they've been selecting, regardless, have been good enough to get these jobs done. What irks me the most is that since Vladko Andonowski took over after Jill Ellis stepped down following the winning of the 2019 World Cup, this team has lacked an identity consistently. And it, and it started before this World Cup. It's continued into the World Cup. And now we're seeing it come to fruition on the biggest stage possible. And that's really, really worrying because this Women's World Cup team, this U.S. team, is supposed to carry the torch for this country to symbolize its power and status in the game of soccer around the globe. That hasn't been happening. And it's a good thing. It's a very good thing that the rest of the world is catching up. But I refuse to believe that they've caught up to the point that the U.S. are now only good enough to get a draw against Portugal and a 3-0 win against Vietnam. I'm not buying that yet, right? So for me, it's, 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 a, it's a combination. A lot of this is the pressure. And I think Carly Lloyd's comments, and I'm glad you brought this up, Nick, because it's been a, been a very, very hot button issue of the last couple days um the fact that that has come to 
the centerfold of the discussion for me is is very much about perception. This U.S. team has always been about appearing to be the best in the world. I talk about the target on its back. It's very important part of this team's identity. And the fact that they can't really absorb that pressure anymore and still perform does say a lot about their attitude and character. While I don't think that maybe going after the players who were dancing or celebrating, interacting with fans the way that they were after the game is the best way to highlight the team's struggles, I think it's better versed to say that this team is lacking an identity and this is seen by their lack of leadership on the field. I think the only moment where we saw someone step up and be a leader so far in this World Cup is Lindsay Horan in those moments after her altercation with Van de Donk in the Netherlands game. And that's the most pivotal moment of this World Cup because if they don't get that goal against the Netherlands, they don't get that point. They're on four points. They're playing for a win against Portugal on three points and they only get a nil-nil draw. And that might not have been enough at that point with goal difference. So you have to take the good with the bad here. But you have to remember that they are fortunate to be in this position. Carly Lloyd was right to have said that uh, for sure. That That's not up for debate, even a little bit. Um, but yeah, this is this is worrying, worrying stuff. And what I will say about Sweden, because we have to look ahead to our opponent now. We're in the situation. They got to dig themselves out of it. After the U.S., Sweden might be the next favorite, might have the next talented roster, next best talented roster at this World Cup. They play with the efficiency of the Netherlands. They're that strong in the midfield. They're as sound positionally as any of the teams the U.S. has faced thus far. But they also have, and you mentioned this, Nick, I'm glad you did, the added physicality and size that only the U.S. has been able to match with other teams around the world. And the Netherlands head coach was saying this before the game against the U.S., is that what they had in superiority before was physicality, athleticism, and fitness. And now the rest of the world, especially in those areas, has caught up to the U.S. So that maybe feels why, in, if you were to give credit to the rest to the rest of the world catching up to the U.S. in a certain category, it would be in the physicality aspects of this game. And those are things you can't really teach. Those are things you just have to do. The fact that the U.S.'s talent is not carrying them a little bit more maybe speaks to the idea that there's a structural, there's a tactical issue uh, at the head of this whole thing, which I and many others very much believe to be true. So looking ahead to Sweden, Andy, I know you think that they're not going to get the result and go through. Um, why specifically do you think that they won't get it? And let's do predictions now. I'm going to go go ahead and say that the U.S. do advance to the quarterfinal on a 1-1 draw and they win it in penalties. I do think, and I think maybe the quarterfinal is where we see them have their last hurrah in this World Cup. But I don't think they're done yet. I think they're going to they're have one more thing to prove. And I God, I hope I'm right. So I'm going to say one, one draw. They beat Sweden in penalties just because they got to do something. All right. They got to do something to win back our faith. And they're not going to let us down at this point. That's why. That's why. I. Have. All right. So let's see with this game about Sweden. First off, let's go back to what you were saying about the identity and like they are supposed to be at the top. And yeah, Carly Lloyd's comments were a bit harsh, in my opinion. I've been harsh on this team, but I thought like going after celebrating, I get where she's coming from, but also that's not even the best point to critique. If you want to critique their mentality of like, you're at the top, you can't celebrate, like barely making it through. For me, a big point was at the end of the game, they were wasting time, like subs at the 96 minute. Like that's a show, like that's a sign of weakness. All right. And just like we got those fire alarms going off at the beginning of the second half, there has to be some alarms going on in the locker room. Like something's going to happen. 
we're not okay. We need to fix something. And unlike the fire alarms in the stadium, those were false alarms. The ones for the U.S. are not false. They're very much true. And they need to fix that now. And I don't see that happening because we've been saying before the tournament started, they need to fix this. They didn't. They're like, okay, next game, we need to see this. They didn't. Now Rose Lavelle got a yellow. She can't even play that game. Like, come on, not at full strength. The subs are not great. Thompson, why bring her in 96 minutes to waste time? Bring her earlier. She has fresh legs. She's fast. Something that Alex Morgan lacked. Alex Morgan had great passes and she wasn't fast enough. Also, the decision to put Morgan back as a nine, because the previous game she was working more as like a false nine, which I myself said in the previous podcast, I think was great. She was making beautiful passes. And she, they should have kept trying that. You know, if they put someone like Thompson in who's hungry for goals, getting those passes from Morgan, it could have worked. Morgan doesn't have the speed anymore. They put her as a nine, didn't work out. She got caught. And yeah, I just see the coaching being lost as to what to do. They don't even know what to try. They stopped trying what was working. And they're trying things that are clearly not working. And Sweden just seems to have it figured out. They won all three games. I think it's going to be 2-0 Sweden. That's... That's how low my expectations are. I don't see it even being close. That was going to be my exact prediction. I was going to go 2-0 Sweden because you're absolutely right. The U.S. women's national team plays best when they're playing through Morgan instead of, you know, just trying to get her those opportunities. And that's not going to work against Sweden, who, as we mentioned, is huge. You know, when Sweden's that big and tough to get through, you need to use Morgan as more of a utility to go through and find holes there instead of just trying to get her the ball up at the nine and hoping that she puts it in. Uh, Cause as you mentioned, the speed's not there. Uh, so yeah, I, I got two nil Sweden. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that, you know, Sweden's not able to create those crazy numerical advantages on the right side um, as they've been able to do. Uh, but man, I'm, I am, I'm I'm worried about this team. I mean, I, I they they really gotta show me something new if they want to pull away with this game. All right. Well, secretly, I, I'm not as optimistic as my prediction may have led you to believe. But in efforts to keep things positive and in efforts to you know have some hope, I did pick that penalty kicks win for the United States to. Then I will use the verbiage crawl into the quarterfinals. And I hope I'm right about that. But I do have my doubts. They haven't looked very good. And yeah, we'll see. The group stage finishes tomorrow morning with the group G or excuse me, group H final matches uh, at 6 a.m. And then we'll have the round out of the round of 16. But as of now, we have confirmed matchups. Switzerland, who won their group against Spain, who Andy, we have to talk about. We very much have to talk about. The Netherlands, who won Group uh, E or F or Group E, I keep forgetting which one. Group at E, excuse me, will be playing South Africa, Japan against Norway, who Japan have looked like a well-oiled machine that we haven't mentioned yet. Sweden and the United States, England, Nigeria, Jamaica, TBD, Australia versus Denmark, and France, TBD. We'll find out. We could get France, Germany, based on the way that that group has shaped out in Group H, because Colombia beating Germany now before the final match day. That would be one of the most crazy knockout round matches to have in the round of 16. And then of course, Sweden, the United States is the one that everyone's going to be circling. So in order to avoid the dreaded conversations we've had now about the U S women's national team, let's talk about some more fun stuff, just overall that we've enjoyed from this women's world cup. Um, 
I think if there's any question that a 32 team World Cup where the women is the women's game ready for that? Absolutely. Unequivocally. Yes. There were closer scorelines this World Cup than there even were four years ago when there were 24 teams. The growth in four years that the women's game has had absolutely remarkable. And we are beyond ready for this stage. It makes me feel even more excited about the men's World Cup in 2026 that will be expanded to 48 teams. Makes me hopeful that the men's game can support that. So this has been an absolute spectacle. Great from start to finish. The U.S. uh, amassing over six million viewers during the group stage against the Netherlands. That's a record for the Women's World Cup. So great stuff going on this World Cup. And I think my favorite moment, or at least one thing that I'm very happy that happened, surprise, very recently, Brazil going out in the group stage. And as sad as it was to see the likes of Bruninha and, of course, Marta be absolutely gutted at her last World Cup, the legend of the Brazilian game, that to them to see them be denied of knockout play was very, very sad. But for Jamaica to do it in their place in their second World Cup, they hadn't won a World Cup game before last Sunday. And now they're going into the round of 16 ahead of Brazil, one of the global leaders of the sport, as we all know, an absolute remarkable achievement for the Caribbean nation. And if I would like to pat ourselves on the back, That's the U.S.'s influence in the women's game, by the way, to be able to strengthen the CONCACAF region around them. Jamaica, I'm not saying they have to thank the U.S., but because that they've had the the influence of U.S. and Canada in the area, it has helped these teams become stronger. And that's a great thing. Great for the women's game. Great for the game growing it in this part of the world, which is would be my favorite thing in the world is to see the North American continent, just that region become the global hub for football. And while it's not there yet, seeing things like Jamaica getting out of the group music to my ears. They didn't lose a game. They haven't conceded a goal. They've only scored one, but it's all they've needed to be. They've been perfect on the defensive end. Drew France, drew Panama, or sorry, drew Brazil and beat Panama one nil, another CONCACAF team at this world cup. For me, that's been the biggest surprise that Brazil went out. And the biggest thing I'm happy about is seeing CONCACAF team success. And it's not just the big teams, Canada getting grouped early. That's the U S's rival. We'd love to hear that. So Seeing Jamaica in the round of 16 for me is a big, big deal. Uh, Nick, I'll go to you first uh, on yeah. this one. Big surprise um, you, from this world. You Cup. just mentioned it. Canada got eliminated, dude. I mean, that's that's the first time in the Women's World Cup that the country that won the gold medal in the last Olympic Games will not progress to the knockout stages, which is crazy because the Canadian team is so freaking talented. Um, and yeah, they, they drew a really hard group. I mean, group B was probably the toughest in this tournament, but I mean, even with, they had a majority of possession against Australia, um, but they, they just couldn't get chances. It's sort of the same thing that the U S was going through. Um, and you know, they have obviously Christine Sinclair probably played her last game with the team. She obviously leads, uh, international play in goals. Um, in her entire career. I think she's at something crazy, like 190. Um, but she, I mean, she was substituted at the break because, you know, she she didn't look inspiring. No one really looked inspiring on this team. So, you know, Bev Priestman said that when they were down 2-0 at the half. They were like, we, we got to believe. Belief wasn't enough. And um, our neighbors to the north are out of it, shockingly. For me in this tournament... I said it last week again, and I'll bring it up. Biggest surprise and joy for this tournament was the goalkeepers. I think they took a huge step up in their talent. 
They've been game changers in this tournament. <laughs> Games that we could have expected, like insane amount of goals, 8-0 or whatever. The keepers were made a difference. And I think that's huge for the sport. Before it felt like, oh, the goals are too easy. If you go on YouTube, there's a lot of compilations of like women's goalies, like making mistakes. And everyone in the comments is like bashing it. They can't say that now. Okay. Because they were amazing. They were spectacular. I loved what I saw. I have a, like, I just value goalies a lot. I think they're underappreciated. And to see them do well in this tournament was great. And another highlight, just shout out to Fordham alumni, Daniel Etienne at Haiti. Love to see another Ram there. So, yeah, I think that's about it for me for this tournament. Ooh, surprise, actually. Uh, James, you hinted at this Spain losing 4 0. If you've been listening to this podcast the last couple of weeks, you'll know I spoke very highly about Spain over and over again. And I did sit, round it off at the end saying, we'll see how they do against Japan. It's another good team. I expected them to struggle, probably lose, not 4 0. And that's another thing to highlight for Japan. They're tactical. Like it was just a tactical masterclass. They, Spain had like 78% possession. They had more shots. It was ridiculous. If you look at the stats, you're like, Spain should have won that. But Japan really studied their opponent. They counter, like they did counterattack so effectively. And you saw it in the free kicks as well. They're like fainting the pass to make Spain go into the offside trap so that they can actually get the cross in. It was, it was beautiful. And you love to see a tactical masterclass in these games, something that the USA is lacking. But <laughs> we're done with the USA for now. But yeah, tactically, it's very important. So yeah, it was a nice surprise. I enjoyed the game. I don't think it's the end of the world for Spain. But yeah, great result. And I think we may have run out of the luck on getting your predictions right, like right after another, because the US fell short as well. But that was a terrific run, Andy. With your with your predictions and you had Spain on my radar and I was I was riding with you and I still think that you know they'll they'll make they'll make good work of Switzerland in that first round uh, of the knockouts I think they'll do well but uh, you know Japan I think that raises another question about them who 10, 15 years ago they were running the women's game they were absolutely disgusting and they took a bit of a lull in twenty fifteen. 2019 2015 they held on to an old generation that just couldn't compete with the u.s in 2019 they fell off a little bit to to see them back at the top of the discussion now they went under my radar again and i was foolish to let that happen but they have been absolutely uh electrifying this world cup and maybe i should have seen it coming because they wiped canada off off the field and the the she believes cup earlier this year so that's that's where we're at in the women's world cup nervy moments for the u.s but they're not out of it yet. They play Sunday at five in the morning. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get up, figure that out, stay up, wake up early, alarm clock, DVR. I think I'm going to go the DVR method. I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it will be better not to see it live. If, if what we anticipate will happen is going to happen. And we did not think we would be saying these words about the U S women's national team after the group stage of this world cup. But that is that. For the final moments of this episode, we are going to talk a little bit about this anomaly that's happening in North American soccer right now, where they interrupt the leagues for a month to do a tournament that they made up. It's called the Leagues Cup, which is one of the worst names for a tournament ever, but that's what we're doing. It, it exists and it happens. And we, just like in the Women's World Cup, are just at the pinnacle of the knockout round. We finished with the group phase and now... We've moved on. Both New York clubs of Major League Soccer advanced 
in each of Group East 3 and Group East 4 because there's so many gosh darn teams in this thing. They had 15 different groups. New York Red Bulls finished on top of Group East 4 ahead of New England Revolution and Atletico San Luis. They beat the Revolution in penalties and beat San Luis 2-1 at Red Bull. Both games at Red Bull Arena, both games in front of a home crowd. Unlike New York City FC, who had to do one game at Yankee Stadium and one game at Red Bull Arena and had to deal with that, but they got beaten by Atlas in the first match, perhaps unfairly with that 90, 90th-minute decision to outrule Justin Hack's goal. And then against Toronto, boy, did they get it done. They absolutely battered their poor old goaltender, Sean Johnson, who was playing with one of the worst teams constructed in MLS history in front of him. That was not something I saw. Uh, I thought I was going to see from New York City FC because they've been having such a difficult summer. But with some transfers coming in and maybe some motivation to play your biggest rivals on Thursday with that 5-0 win in your back pocket in that very stadium, should New York City FC, New York City FC, excuse me, be licking their chops at the opportunity to play the Red Bulls on Thursday, Nick? And I know you are. You're getting... You've been licking your chops to talk about this segment since this episode started, so you're definitely getting this one first. I am licking my chops. The chops are being licked. Um, Really, all NYCFC needed was for Toronto FC to win the match against Atlas. What They needed, like, oh, wait, no, they needed it by, like, three goals or more um, to win the group uh, and have home field advantage, Um, but... Let's see, what did we expect from Toronto? Absolutely nothing. They lost uh, 1-0, uh, gave the group to Atlas. But, you know, let, let, let's talk about this call being overturned because I, as you can see, I'm totally over it. I'm, I'm entirely over it. Um, so, so the ball goes off of the Atlas defender's head and then it's James Sands. And we've already seen, we already saw the images of Hack being onside when the header happened. So I don't know how it can be ruled offside. Once it goes off of James Sands' head, but apparently it did. Apparently it did. Excuse me, uh, because the refs uh, uh, need glasses. I have no other uh, explanation. Uh, so that was fantastic to watch. Um, I love uh, victories just being ripped away from us. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about uh, this matchup coming up in the Hudson River Derby because it is honestly one of my favorite events in all of sports, uh, not just soccer. So. We know the Red Bulls plan going into this. Obviously, both teams are inconsistent as heck. Um, but obviously, the Red Bulls, they want to keep the game hectic. Uh, they like a messy game. They want to play off of transitions, force mistakes. I mean, that's just sort of going to be their style of play. Um, but NYCFC is coming off of their most convincing win in probably a long time. Um, I love Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson will always hold a, a big spot in my heart but it made me even happier to see them put up more than two goals in a game. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, I don't think city was clinical, uh, but they've been creating a lot. We now have a nine, which is nice. Um, so a lot of things are go- are looking up. I saw a report yesterday that Maxi Morales terminated his contract with racing club and is coming back. Um, so maybe a little bit of a 40 year old spark plug, uh, could do it for this city team. Uh, but yeah, as I said, Red Bulls are inconsistent, uh, but so are City. Uh, I do think the Red Bulls have the advantage playing in Red Bull Arena. Um, obviously, the Red Bulls have just, I think, what, one win on the road and like five at home. 
Uh, so obviously they play a lot better at home. So do most people. Uh, Frankie Amaya is an absolute dog in the midfield. Um, I think he's one of the better players in all of the MLS. What he he leads the team in goals. Uh, H- I him think he leading has... him leading the team in goals is more of an indictment on the Red Bulls' lack of go- scoring goals. But yeah, how many goals does he have? Impressive. Like three. <laughs> yeah, he's only got three goals. But Frankie Amaya, I think he he had one goal in his career coming into oh. this season. So for him to lead the league, or he had two goals maybe, but for him to lead the team with three in Major League Soccer play is. And very a much midfielder. a uh, speaks to the uh, struggles of the Red Bulls to score goals. Yes. Okay. Well, then let me let me actually compliment the Red Bulls. Sorry, that was sort of like a backhanded compliment. No, no, it's um, not because Amaya. How about, how about Dante Van then? Okay, started yeah. off really bad. Now he's looking better. Um, you know, I I think he's living up to to who he can be. Uh, but as far as that's concerned, yeah, I I I feel like this will be a great game. Obviously, the winner of it uh goes to play. The winner of Union United, uh, which, you know, if, if either team plays Philly, they're done. Um, Philly is probably my most hated team in the MLS. Um, I've been to I've been to their arena twice. It's gorgeous. Um, but every time I hear the dupe song, it makes me want to start crying. Uh, so that's about all, all, all you got from me. Um, doesn't really matter who wins this game. It's sort of just bragging rights because you're going to lose to Philly anyway. That's a valid statement. (laughs) Yeah, bragging rights is really the only win there. Um, I'm way more unbiased than both of you guys because I don't really follow either of them. So I'm going for an unbiased opinion. And so we look at your stats this season, pretty similar. Same amount of points in the league. Obviously, Red Bulls have a game in hand. So it's pretty close. Uh, So really, for me, the only thing to like go off of is their game earlier this season, back in May, where the Red Bulls won 1-0. But it, it was competitive because New York City FC had like 70% possession. They had way more passes. They had the shots as well. So, you know, I think it's going to be a close game again just because both teams are struggling. Both are inconsistent. So, we'll And now we have a nine who can finish. That's true. There's Except been some changes in the roster. Yeah, the change in the roster could be a game changer there. So we'll see. New York City FC probably played better last time. They didn't get the result. They'll try to get the result this time. I'm going to edge. Am I going to edge anyway? I don't know. I want to say stats-wise, New York City FC, home advantage, Red Bulls, though, which makes it really even. So it's tough. I'm going to say penalties, NYCFC. How about that? Oy, oy. All right. All right. If we're doing predictions, Nick, give me your prediction officially, and I'll wrap things up. All right. Um, 7-0 City. <laughs> oh, yeah. You wish. You wish. Yeah. Only one yeah. team. Only one team in this rivalry has beaten the other seven nil, and we both know who that is. Okay. Yeah, I so. don't think the orange in your jersey makes you like the Netherlands to win seven nil. So yeah, no, it's not happening. <laughs> All right. Well, if if that is your prediction, Nick, I I think no, I will... it's not. It's not. It's 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 going to be two one city. Two one. Okay, that's that's more realistic. I will say, if I were to make a case for for New York City FC. The, the the transfer that I'm most excited about for them is not Maxi Morales because that is that's great. That's really a movement that makes me say, like, we want to treat this player that was so great for us, right? He's 36 years old. I don't expect him to come back in and, and really take over in a starting role for NYCFC and move the needle like he did before. 
Um, he's not just gonna. He's just not gonna have those legs in him. He hardly did at the end of his tenure previously. But that'll be great to get him back there for the boys in blue. Um, I'm more interested in that number nine you alluded to, Munsef Bakrar, who did score against Toronto. Um, I imagine he's going to start against the Red Bulls, and both teams have had trouble scoring goals consistently. So for them to have a player that they can pencil in and look to to score goals is everything for them. But the Red Bulls got two goals out of Dante Van Zier against Atletico San Luis, and that is exactly what they want from him. Score goals, get going. And if he can continue to do that, I see no reason why the Red Bulls shouldn't go ahead and beat NYCFC because I think for the for over the time that they've both been inconsistent, the Red Bulls have clearly been the better of the two sides. And if they can control the game in the midfield like they have been able to with Daniel Edelman and Frankie Amaya winning balls and controlling them and mitigating the pace and possession that NYCFC love to play at, the Red Bulls will be happy to give them the ball if it means that they can go the other way and create chances. It's just going to be a matter of how good are those chances that they create because they can't finish for anything. So with that, I'm going to go one nil Red Bulls. They're going to score a late goal. They're going to nick it away and steal a chance in the round of 16. But that's going to do it for us at FUVFC. We are so low on time. I have to squeeze out this outro. Thank you to Andy Rodriguez and Nick Palmer for joining us. Another great show talking Women's World Cup, Leagues Cup, Hudson River Derby tomorrow, USA versus Sweden Sunday night. Thank you guys for joining